0: The fruit of the Spirit is love, which consists of all of these qualities of joy and peace and patience and kindness and and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. You see, when you really think about it, joy is love enjoying itself. It's rejoicing in God's love. Peace is love resting. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God. It's just resting that, Lord, I have peace with you.
1: Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff.
0: 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We do read, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there are knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. And when that which is perfect has come then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as so a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I should know, just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, of course, as we read it, Is a well-known portion of scripture that uh, many of you are familiar with. Oftentimes there are books that are written on God's love that comment on this chapter. There are cards such as Valentine cards or anniversary cards that have these words that will be printed on them. Uh, Oftentimes it is quoted at wedding ceremonies so we know that first corinthians chapter 13 has been referred to as the love chapter and indeed it's a clear description of the love of our lord jesus christ It's, it's a clear description of god's agape love but what i want us to remember is is that we can can forget and and we need to remember that that we need to keep this in the context, this chapter where it's placed. Now, what I mean by that is in chapters 12 through 14, we know that it is that section of 1 Corinthians that is dealing with the gifts of the Spirit. And in chapter 12, we saw that the Apostle Paul would write to the Christians saying that I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. And so that's what we've been talking about over the last couple weeks as we travel through chapter 12. And and the apostle would say this, that there are diversities of gifts. That is, there are different gifts that the Lord, the Holy Spirit gives to us uh, as we are believers, and he gives us those gifts as he wills, as we saw in chapter 12. So the diversity of gifts, those gifts listed there that we covered quite extensively in chapter 12, in verses 8 through 10, the gifts of knowledge and of wisdom, of prophecy, of healings, of miracles, of, of the different gifts that were listed there that we went over. And so there's diversity of gifts that the Lord gives to us, and there are differences of ministries. We're all called to different ministries within the body of Christ. And there's diversity of activities. In other words, you may have the same gift that I have, but it may be worked out in a different way within the body of Christ. And so as we were putting it all together last week, we recall that as Paul was reminding us that just as the physical body, there are many members of a physical body. There's hands and fingers and there's ears and there's feet and toes it all comes together it's there's unity in the physical body to where all those members function to where the body can function in the way that it's supposed to we can live our lives the way that we're supposed to well in the body of christ we as believers we make up what is known as the body of christ and we come together in unity but we are all different members we're all gifted differently we are all called to different ministries and again, there are diversity of those activities in the ministries that we do. And so we all come together as one, but we all have different callings in our lives, different ministries that we're called to do. We're gifted differently. We have different abilities and talents, and, and we all come together together corporately as one body here locally but the body of christ is really all believers all across the globe and then we function as the body of christ in the way that it's supposed to so that there's edification and there is exhortation there's a building up comfort that is brought to the body of christ and also so that we might be a light and a testimony to a lost and dying world. And so that's what we discussed over the last couple of weeks traveling through chapter 12. We are the body of Christ. And remember this that there is no insignificant members of the body of Christ. The Lord has something for you to do. And so, what I pray is that all of us, if we haven't done this, that we would pray about, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? What are the gifts that that you would want me to have that I may function and, and play my part in the body of Christ, that benefit the body of Christ? And so we end it with Paul saying, earnestly desire the best gifts, but yet I show you a more excellent way. And again, the best gifts are determined by what the need is in your life. What is the ministry that God has called you to fulfill? And so whatever your place is in the body would determine what would be the best gifts to enable you. This morning for me it's the gift of teaching as I expound on the word of God this morning. And whatever you are called to do, that's the best gift for you to enable you to move out and minister effectively and powerfully. But then Paul said something. He said that yet I show you a more excellent way. And now Paul's going to write about agape love, God's love, and he gives us a clear description of that love. And it's interesting that Paul is placing this chapter right in the middle of this discussion about the gifts of the spirit because chapter 12 we saw that he's dealing with the gifts of the spirit not wanting us to be ignorant of concerning spiritual gifts and what those spiritual gifts are and their function within the body of christ chapter 14 we're going to see that he's going to deal with the gift of tongues and prophecy in their role in the corporate meeting of the believers so here is this chapter concerning god's love that's placed right in the middle Of those two chapters. And he's going to bring out a very important point for you and for me this morning. In that, that God's love is superior to the gifts of the Spirit. And we need to keep that in mind as believers. You see, if if Paul was given just a mere study on the love of God, it would seem perhaps that maybe that it would have been placed in Galatians chapter 5. Where we read that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so right after that description, you know, or right after that statement of the fruit of the Spirit is love, perhaps this would fit very well in that. Or maybe Romans chapter 5, where Paul writes that God's love was demonstrated for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And here's a description of God's love. But you see, the Holy Spirit chose to put this chapter, the love chapter, smack dab in the middle of his discussion on the gifts of the Spirit and their function in the body. And so as we enter into chapter 13 again, Paul referring to as the more excellent way than the gifts, than the best gifts, desire the best gifts, but I show you a more excellent way. And so that's what he's going to be talking about here in the first few verses of this chapter as we just read. So we are being shown the superiority of love over the gifts of the Spirit. Now interesting, Referring back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you look at that word fruit, Bible commentators will tell you that in the Greek, that word fruit is singular. It's singular in the Greek. So what we're being told, that the fruit of the Spirit is is love, which consists of all of these qualities of joy and peace and patience and kindness and and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. You see, when you really think about it, joy is love enjoying itself. It's rejoicing in God's love. Peace is love resting. We have peace with God. We have the peace of God. It's just resting that, Lord, I have peace with you. Patience is love waiting. Kindness is love reacting. Goodness is love choosing. Faithfulness is love keeping its word. Gentleness is love having compassion. Self-control is love resisting temptation. So love is the key. And in this chapter, it is setting forth that quality of love, which is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. God's love. If we have the love of God in our hearts, then we can be patient. Can't? We can. We can be peaceful. We have peace. We can be gentle and kind, and and we can be one that uh, we have gentleness and goodness that's flowing from our lives. But without God's love, all we can do is imitate those qualities. So we are told in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, that let your love be genuine. So let's begin to look at God's love as we read once again in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writing, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So without love, I am nothing. Again, the word here is the Greek word for love, agape. And I'm sure that all of us have heard that term agape. We know that it means God's love. We've heard of things like agape feasts or agape groups, and it's just a Greek word speaking of God's love. You see, in our English language, we know that we can say the word love, and it can mean different things. It's not very specific. I can say, I love my wife Sue, but I love Big Macs as well. And it doesn't mean the same thing, does it? So the Greek has very specific words, four Greek words that we have that language that the New Testament was written in, that explains what love is. That is a definite, defined definition of love. There is the Greek word eros, where we get our uh, English word erotic. And that word is a word for love that describes an erotic love, or essential love, a physical love. You can look it up in your concordance, and it may even take on the meaning of kissing. What you feel when you fall in love, a, a passionate attraction to another person. So that's one word, eros. And then there's Philea. And I'm sure that most of you know what that means. That's where the city of Philadelphia, Philadelphia was named after, the city of brotherly love. So Philia, which means brotherly love, friendship, a feeling of warmth, a warmth that is towards somebody else. Then there's a third word in the Greek, and that is storge, and that's a strong love. It refers to a family love, the kind of love that's between a parent and a child, family members in general. So you have those three words, eros, and you have phileia, you have storge, but Paul's not using any of those words. But, of course, he's using the word agape, which is the fourth word in the Greek for love. And it's God's love. It's an unchanging love. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting anything in return. It is a love that is so great that it can be given to the unlovable or the un, uh, you know unappealing person. It is a love that loves even when it is rejected. You love because you choose to. It is a sacrificial, unconditional, giving love. It is God's love. And the word has little to do with emotions, but it has a whole lot to do with self-denial for the sake of another. So Paul began this chapter by saying that I can have all the gifts, the abilities. I can speak in tongues. I can prophesy. I can have all wisdom and knowledge. I can have faith that... That I make things happen miraculously. I can tell mountains to be gone. But if you, if I, do not have love, in God's economy, it means nothing. No matter how impressive the gifts of the Spirit are manifested to you. Without the love of God, it means absolutely nothing. He goes on to explain, verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. You can give everything away. You can impress people with tremendous willingness on your part to sacrifice. If you give your body to be burned, that is the supreme sacrifice, isn't it? But Paul says, without agape, without love, it profits me nothing. Now think about this. Normally, no one would ever doubt the spiritual credentials of somebody who gave everything away that they had, who who sacrificed so much, who would give the supreme sacrifice and given their lives for somebody else, given their lives and martyred them. But Paul makes it very clear here that those aren't the best measures of someone's true spiritual credentials. But rather what it is is love is the best measure. And it is interesting that as you look at church history, all throughout church history, there have always been those who have thought that if they laid down their lives in the blood of being a martyr, that that would wash away their sins. They thought that that was the most important thing in the Christian life. And you see, our sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Being willing to die for Jesus is important. Giving sacrificially, that's all important. That's not what the apostle is saying. He's not saying that the gifts are not important, but it's not the most important. Because he is saying, without love, it profits me nothing. And you see, there are many Christians today that believe that the Christian life is just all about sacrifice and sacrificing your money and your life and and talk a lot about righteousness and walking in that righteousness, but there's no talk about the love of Jesus Christ. Sacrifice is important. It is to walk in righteousness and holiness that God desires for us, but without love it is useless. It profits me nothing. So Paul here in these first three verses really sets the stage of the more excellent way, describing things that are good. Tongues are good, prophecy, knowledge, faith are good, sacrifice is good. It's very, you know, much of of a blessing, but love is so valuable, so important, so essential for our lives that apart from it, every other good thing is useless. It profits me nothing. So Paul telling us, inspired by the Spirit of God, that love is superior to any and all of the gifts. Love is superior to any sacrifice that I might make for God. And now Paul is going to give us a description of this love, beginning in verse 4 as we read, Love suffers long and is kind. So love suffers long. When we read that love is long-suffering, it speaks of not avenging when you've been wronged. It speaks of not trying to get back and avenge and get even, even though you have the power and the ability to do so. It is being long-suffering towards those who hurt us or annoy us. In Exodus chapter 34, after the children of Israel would sin against God and dancing around the golden calf and committing idolatry and fornication, after the Lord had brought them through, The Red Sea and drowned the Egyptians and saved them. And here they are a short time after that, they're committing idolatry. And it would be in Exodus chapter 34 that the Lord would declare himself to Moses and said, The Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. He's long-suffering. Love will endure a long time. So it reminds me of what Peter writes in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Peter's not saying that all are going to come to repentance, but it's God's will that all of us would, and he is long-suffering. And I'll tell you the truth on this. I am so thankful that God is long-suffering. He was long-suffering towards me and continuing to just minister to me and, and the Holy Spirit continuing to convict and draw me to himself that the Lord didn't say, you know what, Jeff? You had your chance. I'm going to wipe you out. But he was long-suffering until I came to that point realizing that I needed to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And many of you, you know that to be true that the Lord has been so long-suffering with you. And so his love towards us, long-suffering, also it is kind. So at the end of that period of long-suffering, its response at that time is one of kindness. It is when we have and show God's love. It will be seen in simple acts of kindness. You know what a wonderful measure of, of kindness that I think that is out there is how children receive us. Because children won't receive and respond to unkind people. Kindness is, is being kind to others is something that is is something that is more and more being lost in our day. Because what people are becoming more and more of is being rude and crude and impatient. Kindness is having tender affection, desiring to respond and give in those times of need. He tells us that love what it is not in verse 4, love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity. So, first of all, Paul says God's love envies not. And when you think about envy, when you think about jealousy, envy is one of the most damaging, least productive of all sins. It accomplishes nothing positive, it is only there to hurt and to undermine. And love keeps its distance from envy. The scripture tells you and I that we are to weep with those who weep and we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And I've said this before, that sometimes it can be easier to weep with those who weep. Those who have gone through loss. Those who are going through, you know, just difficulties. Those who have experienced you know just hurt whatever it might be but sometimes it can be harder to rejoice with those who are rejoicing you say what do you mean by that you see when we can look at somebody's life and what the lord is doing in their lives and blessing them we look at them and rather than rejoicing with them we become envious hey i wish i was being blessed like they were i wish i had what they had why don't they you know or lord why don't you bless me like them And we become envious. That's what happened in Joseph in the book of Genesis. Jacob's 12 sons, and Joseph was his favorite. And so Jacob gave Joseph a coat of many colors. And what happened? His brothers became envious of him, didn't they? And they wanted to kill him. They threw him into a pit, but they ended up selling him off into slavery. When it came to David, David was anointed the king after Saul was rejected. And David, he would serve Saul. He would minister to him. He would fight in his army against the Philistines. But Saul became very envious of David, it says. He looked at David. He was, David. He was envious of him, jealous of him. He threw a spear at David and then pursued David through the wilderness for many years. It was the religious leaders that we were told in Matthew chapter 27, verse 18, that when they handed Jesus over to Pilate, they were determined to have Jesus put to death, but Pilate knew that the only reason they handed him over was because they were envious of him. We are told that love does not envy. I rejoice in the good things that have happened to you. I rejoice when you are blessed. I rejoice when you received that promotion and I didn't. You see, that's God's love being worked out. God's love is so great that you rejoice in the blessing of others. Secondly, love does not parade itself. In other words, it isn't seeking to promote itself. We live in a world where we love hype. We promote everything. And sometimes it seems like we like to promote this and that. And unfortunately, that worldly hype of promotion has crept into the church. The church can try to promote a man. The church can try to promote their name and their programs or whatever it is. Remember that love gives not out of a sense of praise it can have from showing itself off. And it's easy in the ministry, if we're not careful, for people who are seen to parade yourself. Look at me. Look what it is that I am doing. Rather than getting people to look past us and to look to Jesus Christ. So it doesn't parade itself. Paul says that love is not puffed up or that it's arrogant and self-focused. It simply means when you're puffed up that you have a big head. Love does not result in arrogance, but rather it focuses on the needs of others. And for a person to want to parade itself and get puffed up is simply a result of pride and a focus of self. So this was important for the Corinthian believers to know this, right? Because as we've talked about, the Corinthians they were struggling. They were divided because they were exalting a man and gathering around a man. They would parade a man and, and throw out his name. Well, I'm a follower of Apollos. Well, I'm a follower of Cephas. And they were ones that they were you know, puffed up and, and full of pride. And so they needed to understand what God's love was not.
1: Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree, If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.